to Canada for giving us for giving us Kate. Thank you, Canada. Yeah, thanks, Canada. Welcome to the Books We Loved, a podcast through the Troy Public Library. Today we are talking with our friend Kate from Youth Services, and she has brought a very interesting book to the table that has inspired a new branch of podcasts uh, within the Books We Loved community, which is sort of our featured reads, hot reads. We don't know what we're calling it yet. Do we know what we're calling it? I don't know what we're calling it yet. It's um, You'll see when you see the title because we'll have to choose before we post it. But it's that and the... Timely topics. Timely topics. Timely topics. We want to... We delve into the past a lot in this podcast, but we also want to keep a foot here in the present with our timely reads, things that have to do with topics that are important to us right now that are big in the culture. Today we are talking about Two Degrees by Alan Gratz. This is a middle grade novel that has to do with climate change. Should we do a synopsis or should we just Yeah, get into I it? actually printed out the synopsis. This book was published by Scholastic. So on their website, the synopsis is... Um, in the Sierra Nevada mountains of California, Akira and her horse struggle to escape a massive wildfire. In Churchill, Manitoba, Owen and George flee starving polar bears that have been stranded on land by melting sea ice. In Miami, Florida, Natalie fights to keep her head above water and save her neighbor's dog as her city drowns in a hurricane. Though they live thousands of miles from each other and face disparate ch- challenges, Akira, Owen, George, and Natalie will come to understand they are more deeply connected than they could ever have imagined and in ways that will change them and possibly the world. Good. So we're talking roving POV, meaning it's not just one character story. There are multiple characters, and we kind of jump around between these characters and kind of get a taste of what's going on throughout the story. Mm -hmm. So Kate, tell us, why did you pick this book? I, I absolutely loved this book, and I think this book is so important for... Um, not only middle school readers, but even the teen readers. Um, it's, it's a very important topic, even though I know that I have people in my own life who don't feel like climate change is real, but I also know as one of the characters in the book struggled with, she had a family member who also didn't believe in climate change or believe climate change was real and was very dismissive of her. And I think it's important for kids who maybe have these thoughts in their heads, but have people in their lives who are telling them it's not a real thing. I think it's important for them to see how to deal with that. I also just think it's an important book because any book that shows middle school kids dealing with a crisis and getting through the crisis Mm -hmm. is important for middle school students. Even if the crisis has nothing to do with the crisis they're dealing with, they might be dealing with illness. They might be dealing with bullies. They might just be dealing with not making a team they wanted to make. But the fact that they can read about other kids overcoming things, even if they're like huge things, huge fictional things, Mm -hmm. um, it's just important to get that imagination going. It sort of gets their own imagination going where they can say, 
you know, okay, well, let me daydream about how I am going to get myself through this thing and, yeah. and, you know, daydream to the future when I'm through this. And so I think that's really important for, for kids, for their mental health. And mm -hmm. this would be a really good book to have some great conversations, not just about climate change, but also how the kids would problem solve out of some of these situations, which of course, um, the author picked, you know, the worst case scenario, but that was obviously intentional because it gets you thinking about where we're headed if we continue on this trajectory, right? So Two Degrees, um, the novel's name is, if you remember back in 2015, there was the Paris talks about um, the planet and climate change. And the countries that were present agreed that we would try and cut emissions and start doing things that would keep us from going up, um, are raising our global temperature by two degrees Celsius. Um, that's the number for whatever odd reason that scientists believe when we hit that two degree rise in temperature, two degrees Celsius rise in temperature, that we're going to see these huge changes in, in the planet. We're going to see damage to the ecosystems, to the oceans, to humans because of hotter suns, how that's going to affect our food and things like that. And, um, since then, we've already gone up, I believe, one degree. And their um, guess is at this point that we're going to hit that second degree by, I think they said somewhere 2040s, 2050s. So um, while this book felt extreme sometimes, I don't think we're actually that far away from this happening. And like Kate said, I always think it's important for kids to read these types of books to start thinking about it because this is the planet we are giving them. These middle grade kids that are between fourth and sixth grade, this is going to be a very real problem for them by the time they're adults. So I can't think of a more important book for kids to read right now, which is extremely sad, but. Agreed. Kind of and, the and I think this book shows kids being able to have a voice and that's extremely important that they, know that they have a voice yeah. and that um, people will listen to them, which is, it's so important. And I think it's so important. It's one of the favorite parts of my job is when a kid comes to the desk and just tells me what maybe what Eric did at snack time today. And it's a whole long story and I absolutely mm -hmm. love it. And I give them full attention because from the time that kids are little, they need to know that they're heard mm -hmm. so that they will use their voice. And Absolutely. that's what needs to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the challenges for this series, too, is going to be um, making sure that we talk about the books that we choose in a balanced way, particularly if it's a hot topic. People have very strong feelings and mm -hmm. they should. It's, you know, no matter where you no matter what perspective you adopt or where you sit, um, the idea of climate change is terrifying. And it does, I think the book does a really good job illustrating how it kind of does things to us. Like it's an overwhelming prospect and it, it naturally is going to um, evoke strong feelings. And it's not our role in the podcast to take any position or to tell you what to think or anything like that, just like a fiction writer wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. Um but I wanted to share one thing I, I saw. Um, so this, Alan Gratz is a well-respected middle grade writer. He very bravely, I think, kind of tackles big, tough topics for kids. Yeah. And the reason that they, part of the reason why the books are so um, well-respected is because he does a lot of research before he writes the book. And I found an article um, 
This is in Yale Climate Connections. Um, they interviewed him about the book, and they asked him, given the understandable need to appeal to young readers uh, with what you call a, quote, page-turner, what steps did you take to ensure the accuracy of the scientific or evidence-based climate science as you address it in the book? And he says, he gives a big, long answer, but um, I'll just kind of quote from it. He says, well, that's part of the reason it took so long for me to write this book, about two full years. I did my homework beforehand, and I actually used a lot of the Yale resources for background, spoke with numerous climate scientists, attended regular Friday NOAA National Environmental Information Center weekly Zoom meetings with Asheville scientists, he lives in Asheville, and listened to what they have to say, and I interviewed many of them. I, of course, did, a lot, did lots of readings. But in the end, I know that I am not a climate scientist. I am a fiction writer, but I only naturally write about a lot of things that I'm not an expert on. Uh, for instance, my Allies book on D-Day and my Ground Zero book on 9-11. I'm not an expert, but I find people who are smarter than me who have spent their whole lives studying these things, and I talk with them. I do my homework. So I just thought that kind of gave us a baseline to work from, that this isn't um, a book that isn't well-researched. It's a well-researched right. book. He really did his homework and, and um, pulled from a lot of varied sources. And then, But then he also talks about he's a, a fiction writer, and so I kind of wanted to talk about this story in terms of fiction. Um, I'll say one other thing that came from the interview. He uh, was asked, uh, is it accurate to describe two degrees as science fiction? And he said, uh, great question. That term is often defined in the U.S. as a fiction of the future, addressing things that can't happen yet except through magical means. By that definition, no, I prefer to call it fiction that's science-based. So science-based fiction rather than when we think of science fiction, we think of speculative. Star Trek. Yes, right. you know, way <laughs> in the future, sort of beyond us currently. Yeah. And for him, it's more like this is based on this current, research yes mm -hmm. it's imminent it's imminent. it's in the future but right that is a fantastic quote i'm glad you included that he's he's a smarty so he maybe is. let's talk a little <laughs> bit about the the fictional story what did you what was your experience reading the book i i did find i know that there are people on amazon reviews who are saying this book is way too scary for kids to read and i don't agree with that mm. i mean kids have to live in this current world which is extremely scary yeah. um, and kids are often not given enough credit they mm -hmm. they know these scary issues and I think it's important for them to read about it the thing that sort of grabbed me was the way he showed the three separate stories and how climate change is affecting not just one aspect of our climate but many of them he brought in hurricanes he brought in wildfires um he brought in the polar bears which i feel like was a very um um interesting topic to bring into it but also it it's it just it's it's a main topic that that then spurs a whole bunch of small topics you mm -hmm. know because to one of the characters in the the polar bear story was facing having to leave his hometown his best friend because climate change was affecting his father's job yeah. and his father was laid off from his job and now had to go find work someplace else. And 
it's it's the ripple effect. It's a snowball effect. Yeah. And the ripple effect can be both negative and positive. Um, I think not to interrupt you, Kate, I mm-hmm. think a lot of times when people think about certain things, they forget about that part of it. It's not just, oh, this would never happen to me because we don't live in a cold climate right. and we don't have to worry about the polar bears and all that. But it's like, as that affects an economy, how is yes. that economy going to affect global economies? How is that going to people having to move and change a lifestyle, how is that going to affect your community eventually too? So yes. I think that's something. Exactly. It's, it's a book that makes you think and that's what draws mm-hmm. me to it. And, and, and ki- it'll make kids think and kids want to think and they should be thinking. So I think that's what drew me to it. I'm also, I'm very drawn to anything that has to deal with weather and natural disasters to begin with. I think too, sometimes when people say things like that's too scary for kids that age, we have to step back and actually think about what's happening in the world that these kids are experiencing at this age. They're seeing school mm-hmm. shootings. They're seeing mm-hmm. people getting shot at malls. And it's if you don't think your kids are aware of those things, you not, might not actually know the full story because they are aware of yes. those things. And it's yes. very sad, but I think sometimes, too, introducing scary fiction to them, things that you consider scary in a safe way, allows for that conversation so they can feel safe, yes. so they can feel like, angry, sad, scared, and you can help them figure out how to feel empowered to make some changes that will hopefully have a global effect. And that I think without little slight spoiler alert. So if you don't want to hear about the ending, fast forward 15 seconds. Um, I like how he ties it up where the kids are trying to make the positive changes together. So yes, not too much of a spoiler. To piggyback on what you said about kids something being too scary for Mm -hmm. kids. Kids are aware of everything that's happening. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, so, so my parents, the baby boomers were pretty much just influenced by their parents. Their parents said, this is what we believe. This is how we vote. And then generation X, we kind of had some of that, but then technology started being introduced and Mm -hmm. suddenly we could go look at other viewpoints and see other opinions. Mm -hmm. Now, Kids today can see all the opinions, all the viewpoints. For better or worse, right? <laughs> exactly. They, in, you're right, for better or for worse. But I do think it's, it's good. It's good to get them thinking, and it's good that they're seeing other viewpoints so that they don't have the tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, like I said, any, any book that's going to get kids thinking and, and, and get them to see that you can overcome some big things will help them realize they can overcome small things as well. Mm. Well, but we often talk about books that have a message. This book clearly has a message very clearly mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> where I was trying to decide whether or not sometimes the message overpowered the narrative mm-hmm. if, if, or maybe not even that critical. Maybe it, it was more like, as I was reading it, I was thinking like a, a librarian. I was thinking about a reader. I was also thinking like a writer. And how do you write a story that has a message that isn't didactic or heavy-handed or clearly like trying to be like propaganda? Right. Sure. Sway. You know? Trying to sway so, the audience. Right. Yes. In one direction or another. Right. Yes. Like a convincing narrative. And I understand the feeling that he mm-hmm. had. And he. I even read about it in one of his interviews where he 
he feels very strongly about climate change and his idea is you should do whatever you can. And he's a writer. So that's what he can do is he can write this story. I guess my question for you guys as youth librarians is how does he make this story interesting so that it's a, a good fiction book rather than kind of falling into like propaganda? Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so Olivia and I, I think we're texting yesterday about this Saturday and you were, you were expressing that concern or just kind of maybe not concern, but just that realization like, wow, this is, um, like how do you heavy. pull this off? Yeah. And I said to her, you know, I think kids are super smart and super capable. So I don't want this to sound like I'm criticizing children because I'm not, I think they're the future and I wouldn't work with them if I didn't believe in them. Right. Right. But I feel like sometimes you have to um, have a slightly heavy-handed storyline just to kind of make it really real or more tangible to them. So I, I kind of was trying to read this like a kid, and I didn't feel like it was heavy-handed so much as I was getting letting myself get really caught up in the emotions of the kids. And the, mm-hmm. like he does a really good job of giving you an instance like these two boys get chased by a polar bear. And like, he did such a good job. Like I, my heart was pounding. I like bit all my nails off. Like he did a very good job of doing like the, like play on the emotions and the making it very real and making it so you could be scared enough. And then he would, um, I told uh, both Olivia and Kate before we started rec- recording today, this like was Da Vinci code for me. Maybe I didn't say it to you, Kate. Um, you know, he leaves these cliffhangers. You're like, Oh my gosh, you're all nervous. And then it goes, to the next yes. kid yes. and you pick up, you, you stop being in Canada with the polar bear and all of a sudden you're in a forest fire in California. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like he does a really good job of moving the story along. And when it gets just scary enough and he has your full attention, he takes you to something else. It's like he dangles that carrot, right? Yes. So you keep staying interested yes. in it. But for me, the message didn't ever feel like overwhelming or too heavy because he does a really good job of keeping the kids central mm. and keeping their emotions the forefront, which is good because they're going to be the change makers. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know if that actually answered your question, it but totally I have did. been thinking about that <laughs> since I read this about, I think a month ago and Kate and I were talking about it. I'm like, Oh my gosh, so good. Yes. Um, that clarified my thoughts on it a lot. Yeah. What you said, do you have yes. anything else you'd like to add? About I think she said it perfectly. It was perfect. Yeah. Because there's an emotional narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even, I was thinking about like the two boys and how their dialogue felt really natural to me. Yes. And they're kind of joking, ribbing. I like that they're like joking because you're terrified and it's yes. like they start joking with each other and for a second they forget that there's like a bear involved. Yes. You know what I mean? Or when they were sort of joking and then it got a little real and there was a little bit of maybe fighting between them, which yes. is all, all of it is real. Yes. All of it is real. Yes. That's how we all act. We're human beings yeah. and... I had but, a very adult moment while I was reading this and they're like joking around. I'm like, hello, there's still like a polar bear out there. Like, can we walk a little faster and talk a little less? Like yes. save your energy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And how they humanize the polar bear to yes. um, start to be on its side, even though it clearly wants to eat. eat yes. Them. But they realize that it's, it's, it's their fault. It's, and it's, it's their- our fault that the, the polar bear is hungry and still there and the way that he is. And I thought that was, I thought that was, I didn't see that part coming and I thought it was really interesting. And that actually really got me thinking like the compassion they had for this polar bear who was trying to kill them. Yeah. 
but they still had this compassion because they said, you know, he's, he, he doesn't know any better. He doesn't even know any better. And, and we've created this environment for him and, and they're just doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is survive. And if we are changing their landscape enough that we're taking away their food source, well, we're going to become their food source. Exactly. But exactly. I always say like when something happens, like when there's a shark attack or whatever, um, and people get really mad, like, oh my gosh, they should do something to keep the sharks away from beaches. I'm like, you are going into an animal's climate. Yes. You have to you have to realize you take a certain amount of responsibility for that. Now, if you get bitten because a shark comes to your house and it's like <laughs> pizza delivery, like that Saturday Night Live skit, it's like, candy yes, gram. you can, candy gram, you can get mad at that shark. But if you're going in the ocean, you, you kind of have to be careful and you have to be aware. And, you know, the percentage and possibility is low, but... You can't get upset with the animal that's just doing what it's supposed to be doing. You have to respect them. Olivia, we haven't asked you, did you enjoy the book? And what was like, what was something that stuck out to you when you were reading it? I know Kate and I kind of had our chance and you're the question asker. So I'm going to turn this Mm -hmm. back on you. Okay. Um, Yes, I did. I thought he did a really good job creating these three very unique um, challenges for these kids. Mm -hmm. You you said, Kate, that you really liked books about natural disasters anyway. Yes. And I understand that appeal too. It's very exciting. It makes you kind of think what you would do in that situation. Yes. Um, it, even though I would just immediately die, it's fun to think that I <laughs> would be like savvy. I would just like, sit down and start crying if a polar bear was chasing me. I'm going to be honest. That's it. I'd be like, know? I am going to be a taco today. Just. Yeah. But yeah, so I did. I liked that part. I liked the characters. Um, I thought... I mean, it was harrowing. There's definitely harrowing moments in the book. I'm thinking particularly about, um, I forget the girl's name, the one who lives in Miami with the oh, Natalie. Natalie, yeah. Natalie. Um, there are some harrowing moments in her story um, that, you know, that were disturbing, but it is, is what happens. We just, last year, um, with the Historic Village, I did a book club on Isaac Storm by yeah. Eric Larson. We... We read that together. That's a good book. It was very good. And there was a lot of similarities in how the story was told with that one, the sort of deep denial that people had that it was coming. Mm -hmm. And then just the total decimation of the city and the buildings and your home and everything around you, which we, I can't even really picture. I mean, it's, it's just absurd to me in my brain to try and picture water. I don't, I I don't even think anyone can, unless you You actually, but that little, that story within this book also brings up the issue of, of poverty and of, of Mm -hmm. rich versus poor. And, and they could see the lights back on in the building of the wealthy people Mm -hmm. while they had absolutely nothing and and no one, no one even saying when they were going to come help them. So mm-hmm. he he adds in it's his story is layers. It's mm-hmm. layers and layers mm-hmm. of a story. So it's it's climate change, but but Natalie's story with the hurricane brought up the the wealth divide. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, the boys' story in Churchill, Manitoba, brought up as we said the the problem of what happens when you lose your job and there mm-hmm. you live in a little town and you have to move. Yeah. Um, also the friendship dynamic between the boys and we're talking about a middle grade, that friendship dynamic Mm -hmm. is always so important. It is. It is. And it is, they did, they absolutely acted like middle school boys who have been best friends, you know? (laughs) 
And the in the first story, the one in Sierra Nevada, we even yes. had like the girl um, figuring out her like introvert nature at the very beginning. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a really another really good point about how does a book kind of be well rounded when it has such a central message. Mm-hmm. Is yeah, there's more to it than just there's that. More, there's so yeah. many layers. Such this like, if you're I'm, willing to look for them. I'm right? going back Which to what I not. said. Oh, sorry. I'm going back to what I said earlier. This would be such a fun conversation with kids. Yes. Fun's not the right word. Good. A good conversation. An excellent conversation. To see what they think about all these layers, you know. Yes. So what else about Alan? So I'm not super familiar with his other books. Um, Would you recommend his books? Absolutely. Refugee Mm -hmm. is is um, one of my favorites. It it, again is three separate stories Mm -hmm. and and it's really they're set in different times. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting how they weave together. He's he's an amazing storyteller and um his mind is amazing. And that story is, it's heartbreaking as well, but it's also real. It's exactly situations that people did go through when they became refugees. And the way he sort of connected them all, I thought was absolutely genius. And I loved reading it. (laughs) Crown Zero was super well-written, but just devastating. It's about September 11th and... Um, the main character is a boy and he is in one of the towers with his Mm. father and they get separated and you don't know until the end if his dad and he will both survive. And what a tough topic to discuss with kids, but I don't know how you could have done a better job doing that. Agreed. Um, It is heartbreaking, especially being around and being at a time that I could remember that and kind of revisiting it in such a intense way. It was yeah, it's great. I agree. And he, people, I, I do see people who criticize Alan Gratz and say that his stories are too scary for kids. But mm-hmm. what these people aren't realizing is kids are actually going through these things. Mm-hmm. Kids are actually experience, experiencing hurricanes. They're experiencing becoming refugees. Mm-hmm. Kids experienced 9-11. It's, it's not too scary because it is being experienced by them. And for and. the kids that don't experience it, what a better way to teach. I can't think of a better right. way to teach empathy and exactly. to teach about what those kids are going through. And yes. if nothing else, you walk away feeling really grateful that you haven't gone yes. through those things. So, Also, this idea that the book is, quote, too scary for kids is very so general. Like right. It yeah. might be too scary for some kids. There might be some kids who aren't ready for it yet, and that's fair and fine. Mm-hmm. And I, yes. I think... That's your job as a parent to yeah. decide that for your children. I remember yes. that going through that when I was in school. There was a book that I read in school that I was not ready for, and we read it for school, mm-hmm. and it was deeply, deeply disturbing for me. And I remember my mom sort of reacting to that and finding a way and working out with the school that it was like that I was just going to kind of take a step back from that book. And yes. then I was able to return to it later and I still was able to get the message and learn from it, but it, all kids are different. So that's yeah, true. They're good for your mom for doing mm-hmm. that. She was good about that kind of thing, but it, that tendency to want to police what all kids read or sort of generalize right. what all kids mm-hmm. are ready for. And right. we know that, that all kids come to things at different times and yeah. it's fine. And there may be kids who are completely ready for it. And there was a really good quote in the article where Alan Gratt says um, middle graders 
so we've talked about middle grade fiction before. That's like that preteen age love justice. I think it's one of the reason world reasons World War II books are so popular. People crave justice. And by the time they're in those middle grades, kids have an innate sense of justice. Oh my gosh, that person got something and that person didn't. That's just not fair. Mm-hmm. Those people are suffering from climate change, but other people aren't. That's not fair. What's going on? And then um, he talks about that Greta Thunberg. Is that how you say her name? Greta Thunberg? Thunberg. That's how NPR says it. I the NPR saw Thunberg, is always right. I could so. be wrong. They say it with like a <laughs> Thunberg. <laughs> that's how they are. Greta Thunberg. Um, and who is a kid too. And I think a mm. lot of kids sort of resonate with that, that she's yes. sort of like the face of it. Mm-hmm. I do think she has kind of, and this is this I might cut because this is just me talking about my opinion now, but I think making her the face of it makes us think that it's kids job to fix climate change. And right. it's not. I don't want you to cut that. It's still like, I think that's important to say possible for adults to change things. Now, why would we look at an it's 11 not, year old? And it's be like, like well, imperative up, that we do it. it together. Right. You know, cause we're passing off this torch sooner than later for these kids. Yeah. It's like, okay, Ugh, well in 20 years you out. figure out <laughs> right, like, well, we could right. be doing stuff right now that we could. Exactly. If we're concerned. Going back to this are. being something that some parents feel like is too, too much or too scary or too whatever for kids. I sometimes wonder, and this isn't to sound super judgy because I'm not a parent, um, but sometimes I wonder, are you really afraid for your children or are you afraid about the questions they're going to ask you and the concerns they're going to have? And it's scary that you're going to have to have that conversation. And that's okay. I think it's okay to be scared and to tell your kids that like, yeah, this is a really scary topic. It's very stressful. However... You know, there's ways that we can get involved. There's yes. things we can do to change things at our level. Um, but yeah, such a good point. Sometimes it's like intimidating to think about having that conversation. I can't even. I can't know. imagine right. that. There's so many times as a not parent that I'm like, "Who dodged that bullet?" Like, I'm so <laughs> glad I don't have to have certain conversations. I know my nieces and nephews have asked me questions that I'm like, um, "Let me talk to your mom and dad." And see because I they, don't know what, you know, what they would feel comfortable with you knowing yes. yet. You know, I can, yeah, so. It is. You but, want you want to just protect your children. Yeah, And yeah. just Absolutely. keep them in a happy little bubble where everything yeah. is fine. We're to make them um, all bubble boys. Yes. And girls. But <laughs> that, isn't, that isn't the way. Bubble people. That isn't the way to raise them. Right. You know, they, they, they have to know what's going on. Is it going to be scary? Yes. yes. But is life really scary? Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And they have to learn how to deal with these scary issues. And mm-hmm. like I said, we have to get them fired up so that they can use their voices and do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. They might be more ready than you think. Heard my Canadian accent there. That's okay. <laughs> Manitoba. <laughs> right. Manitoba. About it. <laughs> um, just to go back, Alan Gratz, he's got, so this was two degrees. Kate mentioned um, refugee. refugee. I mentioned ground zero. He also has one called Allies, Allies which is yes. about D-Day, going back to what you were saying, Olivia, about um, our sense of justice in World War II. World, I read a lot of um, nonfiction uh, especially adult nonfiction, but my favorite, 
fiction for adults is historical fiction. And I read the bejesus out of world war two books. So, um, I was, I've been saving this one for after this conversation. So I'm excited, but <laughs> I want you to have a shirt that says I read the bejesus out of world. War II. I read the bejesus out of world war two, but I'm going to make Christmas that present coming there. Up. <laughs> there is some kind of site where you can do that, where you can send them your, your stuff and they'll print like one. So I, I see that. Um, I think that'll be allowed to wear to work, right? <laughs> Since it's book themed. Totally. <laughs> there but, you go. <laughs> so that's my only thing. And just teetering it, on the line there. Yeah. <laughs> um, the only thing I wanted to mention, if you want to read something that's pretty current, there was a Stanford News Service article mm-hmm. that came out January 30th of this year, and it's called Earth Likely to Cross Climate um, excuse me, it's called Earth Likely to Cross Critical Climate Thresholds Even if Emissions Decline, Stanford Study Finds. It's a long title with yes. a very long it's subtitle. It's a great article, though. I did really read is. that article in preparation yeah. for this, and it's fantastic. And mm-hmm. it's by Josie Garthwaite. Shout out to my niece and nephew who live in South Carolina because Alan Gratz actually went to their school. They're now <gasps> both, my niece Lucky. is graduating, my nephew's a junior right now. He went to their school when they were in upper elementary, middle school, so they were middle grade age. And they read, um, I think they read Allies or Refugee, whatever was out a while ago. And they actually recommended him to me. Mm. And so I started reading his books because of them. So shout out to my niece and nephew who are now way too old and make me feel ancient. Stop it. (laughs) Stop it. Stop growing up. (laughs) <laughs> That's what children's librarians should start shouting or at the children. Or hurry up and grow up and fix what's going on yeah, could here. Could you do this? We don't <laughs> do, know. I don't. There's no, there's no sense of responsibility in my generation, apparently. <laughs> Just take care of the problems, would you kids? Kate, what are you reading? Anything you want to recommend to our readers? I, I'm sorry, our listeners. Our listeners who are also readers. Yeah. Right. I, uh, you know, I have to admit that currently the latest thing I read has been all hockey related. Mm. That's okay. And, uh, a part of Sports Illustrated and a hockey magazine. Good. So that's my latest. <laughs> I didn't even know there was it's a hockey very magazine. Canadian one for there us. is. I know, you know. <laughs> I know. It's uh, it's playoff time. I have a hockey player myself and uh, so that is what I was currently reading. I feel like the only thing that could make it more Canadian and don't I hope this isn't gonna like <laughs> offend you is I just picture you eating like a dish of poutine while you're reading like hockey I'm magazine. Drinking my Tim Hortons coffee oh, as well. Timmy is the best. While I wear my toque because, you know, my head might get cold. It's a hat. It's a winter hat. Is that the one with the ear flaps? No, just any winter hat. Any Any winter hat's called a toque? Yes. Yes. I heard it here first. Shout out to Canada for giving us us Kate. Thank you, Canada. Yeah, thanks, Canada. Lydia, what are you reading? So I just finished This Isn't Going Well, The True Story of a Man I Thought I Knew by Daniel Wallace. You might know him from his book, Big Fish, which was turned into a movie quite a while ago, Mm -hmm. Um, which is sort of a magical realism story. This is not. This is the story of his brother-in-law who died, and he, Daniel Wallace, finds his journals and goes through them and starts to learn quite a bit about this brother-in-law that he knew, Daniel Wallace knew since he was a teenager because his sister was a bit older than him. Mm -hmm. So this guy that basically was his role model his whole life, he knew him for many, many years, dies. He finds his journals and starts to learn about the man that he thought he knew and the man behind the man and the man behind the curtain. It is not a cheerful story. There's a lot of darkness in it. 
I think Daniel Wallace has a really beautiful writing style. Um, mm-hmm. It's pretty conversational. And I love this idea of sort of uncovering the truth about a person that you thought you knew. There's mm-hmm. a Right. It's sort of, it's sort of, you know, you never, it, it reinforces the idea that you never know what someone else is going through. Totally. So mm-hmm. Be kind always. Yeah, yes. totally. Yeah. So that is, Crazy. this isn't going to end well by Daniel Wallace. Nice. Um, I know when, I think it was April from our friends group, she was here. We talked about Holes by Louis, Louis Sachar, Sacker, Sacker, Yes, Sachar. Sachar. Well, it sounds so like French. Please cut it all does. of this. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> when we talked about that, she was saying she likes to read these um, investigative um PI kind of story. So I had recommended she read um, Robert Galbraith, which is uh, actually J.K. Rowling's pen name. She writes this series. um, They're the Cormoran Strike um, novels. And he is a private eye that solves all the stuff that the cops never can. Right. And this is not my genre by any stretch of the imagination, but I love JK Rowling's Harry Potter books so much. I love her writing style. So I picked him up and started reading them. The sixth one just came out, I think in November, in the fall. It is called the ink black heart. It's the number six, um, six book in the Cormoran strike novels. And um, I just finished it. It's over a thousand pages. Ooh, I wow. started reading it in November and then kind of put it down because I had some other things I had to read for the podcast. Just finished it. It is good. Um, lots of trigger warnings, violence, sexual violence, all that kind of crime stuff. So not for the faint of heart, but um, if you're reading that series, definitely pick this one up because it moves the storyline story along. My favorite part is the relationship between Cormoran Strike and his um, partner, Robin. And then, so that was very good. And I, uh, we had a, recorded our Judy Bloom episode recently with Karen from Adult Services, and I'm wrapping up Wifey, which is an adult book by Judy Bloom. It is colorful to say the least. There's a lot of grown up, bam, sexy time situations <laughs> and just colorful language, colorful references to human anatomy that we're not going to talk about in the podcast. So go into it just with full preparation that it is very grown up content. It's- it's Judy Bloom for and adults. It, yeah. it was that literally, I was telling all. Olivia, it was making me blush. I started reading on an airplane last weekend, <laughs> not this, two weekends ago, and I was blushing. I actually closed it for a little while because I was worried the person next to me was going to think I was some kind of deviant. Human anatomy. Um, so you're, you're welcome. I'm not going to say that they catch the slang terms for some of our bits no, and bobs on the podcast, mm. but um, <laughs> yeah, so if you're, uh, it's it's funny. It's funny. It's about an unhappy housewife. So there are funny elements. Moments. It definitely feels dated. It came out in 1970, but um, I'm enjoying it because I love Judy Bloom, and I yes. feel like I finally hear her voice after a long time. It's like hanging out with a filthy-mouthed old friend. So definitely a fun one. Excellent. The best kinds of friends are the ones that talk like pirates. There you go. Thank you so much, Kate. Thanks, You're Kate. Welcome. It's nice to have you on the podcast. Thank you so for having me. Thank you for listening to The Books We Loved, a podcast through the Troy Public Library. You can find more information about the books and library services we mentioned in the show on our website at troypl.org slash podcast. If you would like to suggest a topic for future discussion, please email us at podcast at troypl.org. Thank you for listening and happy reading.